Hello and welcome to season one of the official P&O Cruises podcast, Heart to Heart with me, Amy Hart. I am so excited to be hosting this podcast. Some of you may know that I used to be cabin crew and my favourite thing was meeting new people, learning about their lives, asking them questions. So hosting this is an absolute dream come true. Across the series, we'll be meeting some well-known faces and we'll definitely learn a lot more about them. So what are we waiting for? Let's go and meet them. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Heart to Heart with me, Amy Hart. Today I'm interviewing culinary legend Marco Pierre White and has he got some stories for you. I hope you enjoy it. Marco, thank you so much for joining me today. We're here on board Iona, which is one of Pino Cruise's largest ships. Absolutely love it. We're going to start with some quick fire questions just to warm us up a little bit. How exciting. Uh, what are you watching at the moment? Fold's Wall. Amazing. On, what's it called? Is that Prime? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's Prime. Falls War I'm watching. Okay. It's very good, actually. Okay, I'll give it a go. First job you had? The first job I ever had was on the milk. Okay. I used to do a milk round when I was 13 years old. Okay. That was exciting. What I still remember is in the in the winter, in the morning, I used to put my hands in the empties. Yeah. And they by the time I got back to the milk cart, they'd frozen. Oh. The first hour was very painful, but then your hands would warm up and adjust it. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, first album you bought? I bought two in January 1978. I bought News of the World by Queen and I bought the one by ABBA. Okay. With Dancing Queen and Water... No, it didn't have Water... It had Dancing Queen, I think. Which oh, one got gimme, more gimme, plays? Gimme. I don't know. I left home at th- like two and a half months later. <laughs> I went to work in Harrogate. What's your favourite wine? Now, that's a very good question, actually. I've been very privileged in my life, and I've had lots and lots and lots of delicious wines. But I think the finest of all wines, I think the Mecca, is Ikem. A glass of Chateau Ikem is so, so, so delicious. But it's really expensive, so forget that. Okay. I think a Merso. Okay. They're deliciously buttery. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to be a Merso. Um, but actually, your... no, it's in Ikem. Yeah. I think Ikem is better. Do you like Ikem? I've never had it, but oh, I will go and out. check it out. Is it a red? No, it's a sweet wine. Sweet wine. Oh, it I love so sweet wine. It is so delicious. I love sweet wine. Okay. Seriously. It's like nectar. Okay. I'll put it on my list. It's sort of juice of the gods. Favourite dish to cook? Well, the truth is, I like food in a pot. I think there's yes. more flavour in a pot than there is a pan. Yes. And so I like making a large risotto, but then I like braising something. Then I like a big pan of pasta, but then I like roasting a chicken or roasting a joint. I like big. I like deliciously big, like a roast shoulder of lamb, slowly Mm. cooked, or then a belly pork slowly cooked is delicious. So I think big is best and slow. Yes, I prefer cooking like, Cooking for like 20 people rather than cooking. Let the oven do the work. Yes. Exacto mondo. Mm-hmm. You grew up in Yorkshire. Like, where did your love of cooking come from? You said this was a quick fire question. Oh, no, we're, we're on to the main questions. Oh, we're now. on to the Sorry. main questions okay. now. Okay. Oh, right. You didn't tell me that. Right. <laughs> right. Quick fire round okay. over. Now, the you tr- grew up in Yorkshire. Where did your love of cooking come from? Well, my grandfather was a chef. My father was a chef. One of my uncles was a butcher. The other uncle was a pastry chef. My brothers were chefs. And from the world that I came into, you tended to follow your father's footsteps. Mm -hmm. So my father 
sent me to Harrogate to look for work and I found a job at the Hotel St George in Harrogate. Mm -hmm. But really, my apprenticeship started years before as a boy sitting there on the side of the kitchen watching my mother cook. Yeah. And I think the most romantic memories I have of food are with my mother. And I think that's where I take all my inspiration from and my love for food and for gastronomy. As I've always said, Mother Nature is the true artist. Yeah. I mean, like something as simple as watching the farmers pick the figs. Yeah. As a boy in Italy with my mum and my nonna. Or watching my brothers with Signor Lorenzo picking the peaches and the apricots. Yeah. And so therefore, but even picking cherries off a tree and they're warm or grapes off a vine and they're warm, that explosion of warm juice as a child was so mesmerizing that I can still vividly see it today so I think my love for gastronomy my love for food and for cooking is very deep rooted in my childhood amazing I hope that didn't bore you no I, I love it I love all the anecdotes so the Rudlow Arms is your home now what is so special about it nothing <laughs> no, it's just another yeah. house is the reality as a child yeah. I watched a documentary and the person I watched the documentary on lived in a hotel. And I thought to myself, that would be really cool to live in a hotel. Then my first job at the Hotel St. George was a live-in job. And I've always liked living in yeah. hotels. So I swapped my home for a hotel. And so therefore, I allow people to stay in my house. I love that. So it's sort of, but what's nice is you've always got company around you. Yeah. Even though I don't have to see them. There's rather, something rather nice about the presence of another. Yes. And if I think back to lockdown, I never felt comfortable in the house by myself. Mm. It was really weird. But when it runs as a hotel, there's, there's people always in the kitchen or people in reception or people in the bar. There's residents. Yeah. And it's just that you just feel their energy. And it brings the house alive. Yeah. Now, you've worked under a lot of prolific chefs. Who would you say has had the biggest um, influence on you professionally? There's the Rue Brothers. There's Kaufman. There's the great Nicola Dennis. There's Raymond Blanc. There's the boys at the Box Tree, Michael Lawson, Mr. Lamb at Box Tree. And I would have to say, Box Tree had the greatest influence on me. And so it should really, because I was a boy of 17, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. And so they, they were my formative years. And so therefore, Mr. Reed and Miss Long, who were, in my opinion, they were geniuses at what they did. And they created a restaurant in, in the middle of nowhere in Yorkshire. And they became only one of four restaurants in Britain to have two stars in Michelin, when there were no three stars, and there were only maybe eight or ten one stars. Britain was a gastronomic desert. So... By chance, I ended up in a restaurant with two stars in Michelin without realising. And then every night I had to say goodnight to Mr. Reed and Mr. Long, because that's the way it was in those days. Yeah. It was like a family. But what would happen is, because I was only 17, the boys in the kitchen would all run off to the Rose and Crown for last orders. And I'd go upstairs and say goodnight to Mr. Reed and Mr. Long. Yeah. And they knew how the bosses liked to talk so they could have a quick pint before they went home. So I would go up there and say goodnight to them. They'd ask me about service. But then, what I really enjoyed, it became Jack and Ori for chefs. Mm. Mr. Reed and Mr. Long would speak so vividly about La Tour d'Ajon, La Grande Vifor, Maxime's, Taivon, um, Charles Barrier, 
uh, Bocuse, Toigre, and the rest of these three-star restaurants in France. And then they talk about the great restaurants in, in England, like Gavroche, like the Connaught, the Warside. And I used to just absorb everything that they said. But because I'm quite visual, I could visualize what they were telling me. Because even to this day, I've never dined in a Michelin-starred restaurant in France. Okay. And so therefore, is my whole influence and my dream was created and made at Box Tree. And I do believe if you have a dream, then you have a duty to yourself to make it come true. And the dream I was given at 17 was about a restaurant called La Serre in Paris, which had three stars in Michelin and five red knives and forks. Mm -hmm. And that was my dream. And the truth is, I was a fantasist. Yeah. I was delusional. How could a boy from a Leeds council estate ever realise that kind of dream? But that's why I say success is born out of luck. Yeah. Luck is being given the opportunity. It's awareness of mind that takes advantage of that opportunity. And the opportunities that I was given, maybe the boy that I became and gave me the opportunity, one, to win three stars in Michelin, yeah. and then three years later to get five red knives and forks. Because when I won my three stars, I only had four black knives and forks. Because it goes up to yeah. five black knives and forks. And then it's in red. And so the ultimate yeah. was three stars with five red knives and forks. And in 1998, I received them. And the truth is, that was my dream. I'd realised it. Yeah. And after that, life becomes rather boring. So you have to create new dreams. Yeah. And find new things to do. Is that why you gave your stars back and decided to go, do you know what, I've, I've hit the mecca, I've got the five knives and forks, the three Michelin stars, I want to try something different? Well, what happens is you realise your dream and realising a dream is the most exciting journey of anyone's life, whatever your dream may be. If you're, one, fortunate enough to be given the opportunity and secondly, you have that chance to turn it into a reality... That is an amazing journey. But the truth is, when you realise your dream within the world of gastronomy, now it becomes incredibly boring. Yeah. Incredibly boring. Why? Because you're playing a defensive game. It's, you're no longer chasing a dream. Yeah. You're no longer being as creative. Your strategy as a cook has to change. And you play this very systematic game, which is brutally boring. And then you realise one day that you're not enjoying it, and then you sit and think about it, and then you say to yourself, I'm being judged by people who have less knowledge than me. So the truth is, what is an award? An award which is given to you by people who have more knowledge than you, and they've achieved more than you, has great value. When the people who give you that award have less knowledge than you, and less ability, then what's it worth? Very little. So then you moved into TV. What was that like? What was, what was the thought behind that? Were you approached to do it? Did you seek it out? TV is the most boring job on earth. <laughs> it's truly boring. What's exciting about TV? Because the truth is, when I look back on my life, I think, firstly, what I've learned is that privacy is freedom. Yes. And secondly, I've also realised that your name should only ever be in the paper three times. When you're born? When you're married? When you're married and when you die. die. I really messed up. 
He's been in a lot. A lot. Now, I know you said TV's boring, but I want to talk about Hell's Kitchen just for a minute because I loved it. Your series of it, like the ones that you did, were amazing. And whenever I eat anything off a knife, I always think of you. Um, what was it like having to try and run a kitchen on telly? What's interesting about making a show like Hell's Kitchen is, yes, it's reality. But what I tried to do was make it as real as possible. When I say make it as real as possible is bring it like a professional kitchen. So my job was to feed 50 people. They realized, like the people before me, had failed to feed 50 people. We fed them very easily. Yeah. So they take it to 60. We feed them again. They take it to 70. We feed them again. We take it to 80, 90, 100, 120. They keep on trying to make me fail. Yeah. But the way I look at it is when I become head chef of a kitchen, whether it's on TV or off of TV, yeah. I have a job to do. And my job is a very simple one is to feed the customers to the best of our abilities. And so therefore, I've got 12 celebrities. The truth is, celebrities aren't stupid. And the truth is, you cannot teach someone to cook within a month. Yeah. But what you can do is teach them system. And because these celebs are bright, yeah. you can teach them system. And it's as simple as that. So therefore, you create an illusion. Whether you do 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 120, for me, it's the same. You've got two hours to feed them in. Yeah. It's just a systematic game. Yeah. It's as simple as that. But it's boring. It's really boring. But you're there to yeah. do a job. And it's all manufactured drama. There's no reality. And so therefore, you turn up, you do the gig... You get paid, you go home. Yeah. It's just a job. Yeah. The reality is, is that TV try to make you look like someone you're not. So because I don't swear. Yeah. They try to make me look rather mean, so they focused on my eyes and try to make me look rather eccentric. But the truth is, I stay focused, I just do my job. Yeah. And when it was all over, a man called Richard Cowes and his assistant, they sat down with me and they said... We'd like to ask you a simple question, Marco. I said, what's that simple question? They said, are you mathematically minded? I said, why'd you ask? They said, the only way you could have ever fed everyone within that time frame was if you were mathematically minded. And that's the truth. But the one thing I never told them, what they do is they manipulate the front of the house. Yeah. So when they take your order for your table, they make that red. And they try and put pressure on the red team. But what they didn't realise was when I get the ticket, I can see it says red. Yeah. But I say, blue team, Samage, on order. Yeah. And so I dispute the workload. And they could never work out how I was doing it. So therefore, whatever they tried to do, because it was like a cat and mouse game. Yeah. They tried to make me fail. But I would apply a strategy every day so I didn't fail. Because the reality is being paid... To do a job is one thing. To be paid to be ridiculed is another. Yeah. And number one, I would never ridicule the contestants. And secondly, I would never allow TV to ridicule me. Yeah. I suppose it's your name at the end of the day and it's your legacy. That well, it's my job, isn't it? Yeah. My job. Moving on from that, who is your hero? That would be an individual who's influenced me the most. Okay. 
And if I think of the person who influenced me the most and was the kindest to me, it was a man called Ken Lam. Okay. Ken Lam was at the box tree. He would arrive every day at two o'clock. He lived in Harrogate. And he would bring the fish and go to shop in Farnley to buy all the little things like rose water, concentrated apple juice, and all those little specialities. But he took me under his wing, and so did Michael Lawson, the head chef. And they were very kind to me, because remember, I was just a boy of 17, yeah. and I was away from home. And they gave me an amazing amount of understanding. And what they did teach me, the best teachers in the world of gastronomy are the teachers who can tell you a story. And they could tell stories. They could share their past. And that's why I always say a story is more important than a recipe. Yeah. A story can inspire you, but a recipe can confuse you. Is the box grape still around? It's still there. It's through a few owners now. Yeah. But, you know, it's a magical place. It's a little like Maxime's yeah. de Paris. It'll always be there. Box tree will always be there. Did you ever think, I'd love to go back and buy that, or would it just not be the same? No, it doesn't make mathematical sense yeah. today. It's too small. Yeah. And the truth is, I don't live in Yorkshire. Yeah. I live in Bath. And the truth is, what I've realised is I'm best just doing one little place. Yeah. Because I put all my energies into one place. I don't like multiple restaurants. I yeah. tried it in London. It was good, but it's not for me. No. I like a home. Now, you didn't drink till you were 40. 41. 41. So now you have opened the gates. What is your favourite drink? What what do you like to serve? What do you like to drink? The truth is I don't like alcohol. So therefore, if I have a tipple, if that's what you'd like to call it, I tend to have cider because it tastes of apple juice. Yeah. It doesn't taste like alcohol. But having said that, every so often, I'll have a pint of Landlord by Timothy Taylor's, which I think is the best pint in the country. But then if I go to Ireland, I'll have a nice half pint of Guinness. But then if I go to Italy, I'll have a nice Amarone. If I go to France, I'll have a nice Mussel. If I go to Australia, I'll have a nice Chardonnay. You said that you had a lot of wines um, throughout your life. No, delicious uh, wines. Yeah, yes, delicious I've been wine. spoiled. Yes. So if someone serves you a meal with the wine, do you sort of say, like, oh, I don't really like alcohol? Or do you, because they've, like, paired that wine with the meal, are you like, I'll drink I that. don't like pairings. No. I don't like to be told what I'm eating and what I'm drinking. Yeah. I like to choose my own food and my own glass. Right, let's move on to P&O Cruises. I've grown old with them. Yes, and I hope to as well. So you've worked for P&O Cruises for nearly 20 years now. How did that come about? Well, like most of my life story, everything's by default. And that's the truth. One day, I walked into one of my restaurants in St. James, and as I was walking through the door, there were two people from P&O Cruises walking out, and we bumped into each other. And they said, excuse me, Mr. White, we have two minutes of your time. And I said, of course. They said, we are from P&O Cruises. Have you ever thought of working at sea, having a restaurant at sea? I said, no. They said, we'd love to invite you onto a cruise. So that's what happened. And I came on a short cruise and I spent it with a man called Mike Moynihan and his assistant, who was the executive head chef. And I found it totally fascinating because the skill set is very different to the skill set from my world. Like today, we're sitting on Iona. Yeah. And today, they'll mostly do 20,000, 25,000 meals. Wow. Where, when I had my little three-star restaurant, we'd do 200 meals a day. Yeah. Which, in 
in the three-star world, 200 meals is enormous with a la carte menu. But 25,000 meals is a different skill set. But the amazing, amazing thing, I eat the best Indian food on ship. Yes. It's so good. And different chefs cook for me, and they cook food from their region. Yeah. It's so amazing. I mean, they take me to places where I've never been before. Yeah. Just for anyone that doesn't know, obviously you have the chef's table on celebration nights, you do Q&As in the theatre, your books are for sale in the shop, like anything else you can sort of... I do gala dinners, I do, yeah. the, I do, the, the, I do the cookery club, I do master classes, I do meet and greets. Yeah. I sort of roam the ship, really. And I go on little excursions every so often, which I find as a little treat and a luxury. I just did an excursion where we cooked our own lunch in uh, the Caribbean, which was amazing. This year, I had an amazing one in Norway. Okay. I went to this little island, to this little vegetarian restaurant. Okay. It was really deliciously good. I just got back from Arvia, um, and the restaurant there, Green & Co., which is the vegetarian restaurant, is amazing and i love a steak like i love keelan cow i love the tomahawk sharing steak but that vegetarian restaurant just if i had that down the road for me i probably could go vegan i've heard very good things about it yes. really good things i've not had the the privilege of dining yeah. there yet but everyone tells me such good things yeah but i was a, a vegan for nine months of my life yeah what was that? i tried but i just ate chips all the time it was the most interesting emotional mm. journey i've ever had i lost five stone in weight what is your favourite ship on the P&O Cruises fleet? They're all beautiful in their own little way. Yeah. But I think my favourite ship, and I'm a fan of the larger ships rather yeah. than the smaller ships, because there's always somewhere to hide. Yeah. But I think Britannia is my favourite. Britannia is, like, I love Avia, I love Iona, but I'm a Britannia girl, and, like, everyone I speak to, like, it is, I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's really homely. Well, I remember the day I first walked onto Britannia, it was in the morning and I was wandering around by myself and I bumped into a man called Mr Dingle, who was the chairman. And we had five minutes together and he was a very, very nice man, was Mr Dingle, always very kind. And he was telling me about and I said, Britannia feels like no other ship. Yeah. He said, Marco, this is the first ship that we've brought a designer in who designs hotels and not ships. And when you walk down deck seven by all the restaurants. Yeah. You do feel like you're in a hotel. Yeah. And I thought that was very, very clever of Mr. Dingle. And I think I have this affection for Britannia, but before that it was Ventura because that was the first ship that I had yeah. a home on. But Britannia is my favourite ship, yeah. I think. Um, if you ask me why, I can't answer it. Yeah. Britannia was my first cruise ever. So I just, yeah, it's just special to me. I love it. I love it so much. Um, what other projects are you working on at the moment, aside from P&O Cruises? Well, I spend a lot of time travelling around the world. I've just come back. I spent a lot of time in India this year and the Middle East. What am I working on? My garden. Yeah. I'm turning my garden. See, that's a sign of growing old, isn't it? Yes. I'm turning my <laughs> garden into a nature, nature, nature reserve. Oh, lovely. So I'm just taking another large pond out now for newts. I stocked my other pond two weeks ago with Crucian carp. So I like my garden. Yeah. And I build lots of dry stone walls and things like that. And beetle yeah. banks and mostly boring to most people, but no. I like it. Yeah. Now you said that your dream was your three Michelin stars, your five red knives and forks. You achieved that dream. Has it been replaced with a new dream? Or do you have a project that is your sort of blue sky project that you would love to do? I don't dream anymore. I think you get to a stage in your life where you're just happy, contented with what you've been given. Yeah. To want more would be greedy. Yeah. I'm very happy what life has given me and I wouldn't want any more because I'd feel guilty. 
And so therefore I just accept my lot. Yeah. And I do think that I've been very privileged, very blessed to have had the experiences that I've had in my life and to have worked with the people that I've worked with and to have the opportunities I've had. Now, on the podcast, we have a thing called the penny drop moment and it's that moment during a cruise where you're like, this is why I love cruising. What was your penny drop moment? If I flick through the filing cabinets of my mind over the last 20 years cruising with P&O Cruises, there's been lots of magical moments and some beautifully rare experiences. But the most eccentric and the most delicious and the most fun on reflection. I was in Martinique with Alex James. We were having lunch and it wasn't the greatest lunch. We were still hungry. But we stepped outside to have a drink. And the only place in the shade was in this bus shelter. So we go into the bus shelter in the middle of the island. And we're starving. And somebody had left their cream crackers behind. A bit random. Yeah. Jacobs. And we opened them and we ate the cream crackers together. I've got to say, that was the best part of the lunch, was those Jacob cream crackers. Secondhand Jacob cream No, they were brand new. They'd not been yeah. opened. We opened them. They were deliciously yeah. good. The only thing they lacked was butter and a bit of cheddar, but we can't have everything, can no, you? exactly. Having said all that, it's almost an impossible question to answer because there have been so many magical yeah. moments. And when you think, the truth is, before I worked for P&O Cruises, I'd never really travelled because I'd spent my life in a kitchen. Yeah. And so working with P&O, they've taken me to most places in the world. And also... They've stripped off the blinkers of gastronomy. Yeah. Now I look at food, not just French food, which is interesting. And so what I've been exposed to, if I think of all the things and all the delicious dishes I've eaten around the world, it's just extraordinary. And so it's been the best job I've ever had. I don't know why, but when I leave a hotel on holiday, I'm very like, oh, that's sad, it's the end of the holiday. But when I get off a ship, I'm like bereft. We we stayed in a hotel in St. Lucia last year and we could see, we, I had to get off because I was too pregnant to stay on. And um, I could see the ship from my window and like we were in this huge hotel suite and I was like, someone else is in my cabin, shut the curtains, I can't look at it. Because I was just so bereft because it is so magical. Well, the beauty of cruising is that you get on a ship and everything is done for you. And if you want to leave the ship to go on a little excursion or just a little yeah. wander around the town wherever we are, it's, you can do that. Yeah. But everything is done for you, you know, and you never get bored on a ship. You never get lonely. The eyes always amused. There's so much to do on yeah. ship. And so, as I said, and when I say this, it's true, it's the best job I've ever had. And I've seen the world. Right. Finally, we come to the fantasy cruise section. So this is a no-holds-barred budget and realism. It's not a thing. Um, so you can pick anything. So where are you going to go on your fantasy cruise? I'd want to go somewhere I've never been. I think I'd like to go and see the Northern Lights. Okay. Because I've never seen them. Who are you taking with you? Well, the truth is, I'd go with my girlfriend. Now, your favourite restaurant have said they will fly in their team to cook for you. Where where are they coming from? My favourite restaurant in the world has no stars in Michelin. It's very simple food. The menu hasn't changed since 1955. Wow. It's a little place in a little village called Saint-Paul-de-Vence and it's called La Colombe d'Or. 
in some Bordeaux. And the food is so deliciously simple and so classical and so French and so good mm. that that's what I would want. Now, your favourite entertainer, dead or alive, can come and perform for you, entertainer or group, um, and what are they going to open with? I think I would choose my old friend Alex James and Shirley Bassey, together singing Hey Big Spender. I mean, iconic. I think Alex would really... Or My Old Man's a Dustman. Yes, I think... Alex is a very good version of that. Does he? I love that. Does he do Roll Out the Barrel as well? I think so. And you said you'd had a child, boy or girl? Little boy called Stanley. Stanley, good name, Stanley. Yes. Like that. He's a little cheeky boy. He's just been on his first cruise. He loved it. It must have been enormous for him. Yes. Because when you're little, everything is so big. And he's really nosy and he loves people. So it was just his, like getting in a lift every day with other people. I don't think he's nosy. I think he's curious. Yeah. (laughs) But all the staff were amazing with him. So, yeah. No, the staff are very good, aren't they? Really good. Amazing. No, I mean, it's amazing. When you walk on ship, nothing is too much trouble and you're spoiled. I always say this on the cruise ship. Like, you know, you can go for these beautiful dinners. You can go out dancing and you can go and see a show. Everything is a maximum of a five-minute walk back. I'm too tall to dance. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Tall boys never dance. No, they never get far on Strictly, do they? They don't, do they? They don't. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very kind. Can I say I've enjoyed your company enormously? Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed yours too. Thank you so much for watching today's podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave a comment below and tell me what your favourite part was. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, the notification bell so you never miss anything. And of course, give it a like if you did.